Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. If I'm having fun, even if I'm not the focal point, it's a win for me. Like any day that I wake up and I have a good time, what, what's my complaint? So even if I was, my jokes didn't land or I just didn't get to say that much, I was laughing also, and this is true, there are many years where I wasn't on TV. And just the fact that I was, here I am with this opportunity on, at the time was the hottest show in the world. You know, what am I, what am I in a fetal position for? Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard. Truly another episode that I'm very excited about this week with comedian, actor, and writer Josh Wolf. This guy has done everything there is that you can possibly do in this business. And his personal life is as authentic and original as it possibly gets. Before I get started, I want to thank you guys so much as I always like to do. Without you guys, there is no show. There is nothing. And I am truly grateful not only for you listening and subscribing and passing it along to people, but I'm also thankful to all of my guests who have done the show who have really made this thing bigger than life. And for those of you first-timers, welcome I hope you enjoy it as much as I do, and hopefully we all do. And I look forward to you enjoying this episode and coming back again and again. You are welcome here. This is your house. Take whatever you want. All right, without further ado, let's introduce our guest today. Josh Wolf is a comedian, actor, and writer who has become one of the most sought-after personalities in comedy today. From adding his quick-witted commentary on comedy roundtables to becoming a New York Times best-selling author, writing on hit television shows, and headlining stand-up comedy tours across the nation, Wolf has proved time and time again that he is one of the most dynamic and multifaceted comedians in the entertainment business. Born in Boston, Massachusetts and raised in Amherst, 
Wolf had a love for comedy and making people laugh from an early age. As a teenager, he took to the stage in the Boston area performing his first stand-up show when he was only 15 years old, and by the time he was in his mid-twenties, he was ready for a fresh start. In 1999, Wolf got his first big break performing a one-man show at the HBO Workspace, which landed him a talent deal at 20th Century Fox and a deal for his own television series with ABC. A deal with NBC soon followed, and while testing the waters on the television front, Wolf began writing for TV. He wrote on numerous sitcoms, including Yes, Dear, Will Smith's All of Us, and Cuts, starring Shannon Elizabeth. Wolf thrived as he started making regular appearances on Chelsea Handler's e-television series, Chelsea Lately, appearing more times than anyone can count also as a performer and actor on the E-Series After Lately, and he toured nationwide with stand-up comedy sensation Larry the Cable Guy at the highest point in his career. In March of 2013, Wolf debuted his latest book, It Takes Balls, Dating Single Moms and Other Confessions from an Unprepared Single Dad. Funny and brutally honest, the book details Wolf's adventures as a struggling stand-up comedian while juggling being a single parent in Los Angeles. Wolf is also known for the great work he did with fellow Chelsea Lately Roundtable member Ross Matthews on the hit podcast they had together. Most recently, he wrote a screenplay for Adam Sandler and his production company, Happy Madison. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest today in this beautiful, beautiful home with a island in the kitchen a granite marble island that is literally the size of the <laughs> stage of the comedy cellar in new york it's incredible please welcome my guest today josh wolf too kind too kind thank you very much i the that marble just so you know is what sold the house when we walked in i was like i this is i have we gotta live here right <laughs> it's a it's it was so perfect so a kitchen island sold the house. Yeah, you know, not so much for my wife. When you looked at it, did you say right away, honey, there's no seam and it's all <laughs> one piece? I did. I was like, this is, how'd they get this in here? This is one piece, huh? I was really impressed. The, actually, you know, what's crazy is that the two things that really, I love the atrium. Yeah, let me explain. So you walk in the front door. It is a little six-foot square area, but you're looking straight through the house in this atrium with an open ceiling with slats and it's got cactuses and stones and yeah. it's about 10 feet by probably 18 feet with glass windows all around that you can see from every area of the house. You see straight through the living room, the fireplace, the pool, every place in this house you could probably crack an egg and eat it off the floor or wherever it is. Everything is meticulously clean. One thing that isn't clean and organized in this house, and that's Josh's beard. Yeah. <laughs> and my outfit. Yeah, those two things. Yeah. My beard, it, look, my style, and people have like, how do you describe your clothing style? I, I'm, my clothing style is almost given up. Not quite given up. I'm like two years away from giving up, but that's what I've looked like my whole life. He looked like, oh, he's about to give up, but... But normally when a woman comes in your life, like your yeah. wife, and I see the question and answer sessions yeah. that you do with her on the couch, it's an incredible. This couch? Yeah, it's yeah. just a really special thing. Sometimes the simplest things that you create alone or together that you would think 
would have been done since the beginning of time, yeah. but haven't been, are the most amazing things because you're answering questions that are confronting questions. And instead of the newlywed game where somebody's sequestered, you're right there. So you have to dress it while you're right there and there's a camera going, yes, you have editing power and you can shut off the camera, but there's this illusion like you're never going to do that. You can't do it. You know what I love? And I very rarely use the edit button on anything I do. And um, the very first live talk show I did, I did um, on the Discovery Channel, I did uh, during the Shark Week. You don't have to show off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, the Discovery talk show, dropping big nuts here. Uh, so it was called Shark After Dark, and it was a live show. I love that. And we, it was just a lot. And we had better numbers. We beat everybody during Shark Week. Our numbers were crazy. You beat the great whites? We beat everybody. Mega Mouth, we beat everybody. But I that first week of doing that live talk show i was like i don't like the edit button i like all the warts i like all the hiccups i like all the awkward pauses i did an interview with tara reed and her brain broke during the <laughs> middle of the interview it's online she came on the show and she said you know i didn't i didn't want to sound stupid so i googled whale shark because i know that's when whales and sharks have sex and i was like oh man well this is this is about to happen huh and it was a cray but but in my ear and you can see it on the clip the director keeps going okay go to break and i i look directly into the camera and i just shake my head like this and then i look right back at her <laughs> and she starts to spiral even further and he goes in my ear go to break and i'm like no because I, that to me was good tv why do you think the director didn't think it was good tv i think they panic i think they panic and that's why people are scared of live shows because they're they're scared of what people are going to say or do but much like i would say about modern music when you things that are too perfect are not fun to listen to or watch give me a wart give me a vulnerability give me some human traits like i love still listening to the foo fighters cuz grohl doesn't take out that sound of his finger sliding down the neck he keeps it in that tells me i'm playing music for you right now this is part of what he leaves in his breaths <gasps> When you listen to songs and you can't hear, you hear those people hit those crazy notes and you don't hear anyone breathe, that sounds like a machine to me. So I love, when I do that with Beth, I very rarely, like I might cut for time, but I don't cut things that seem awkward or weird because to me that adds to the sauce. And so you have this woman in your life who has incredible charisma. Yeah powerful powerful aura mm -hmm. the last time i felt that kind of aura and energy of femininity and it's not what you think it's going to be because you would never equate this person to your wife was when i first met jessica simpson 15 really? years ago because jessica simpson she would sit there and just the looks that she gave before she even said anything and not saying that much, but at the time reserving herself, but it wasn't about her brain. It was about her aura and her sexuality and how powerful she knew she was. Did she have a sense of that? Yes. And so when I watched this video of you and your wife, even though I'm not talking about the intellectual thing, I don't want to go there. I'm talking about the, aura yeah the aura of listen 
I don't know how to tell you this, but quietly, I'm going to fuck you up. Yeah, that's her. Normally, when that person enters a man's life who dresses like in a, a baseball cap, <laughs> sneakers that are... These are my gym sneakers. They're are, a little beat up. ...are off-white and a hoodie. Yeah. They come into your life and you change your appearance and how you are and they change you. She hasn't done that. Let me tell you. Okay. <laughs> so when she and I met, I was a single dad raising three kids. Tell me how you met. Uh, my man, our manager at the time was a guy named Mark Shulman. And, you know, um, he had been trying to set us up for a while. It's the only thing he ever sent me out on that I booked. So <laughs> here's the deal. He, 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 he calls me. He's like, I want you to, I think this girl's perfect for you. And he was telling her the same thing about me. But he was not pitching us well. It made me really start to question. Okay, so he was, this is how he was pitching her to me. Well, actually, he actually, he was like, listen, she's gorgeous. She's an actress. She's sweet. And I was like, let me send over something so I can see what kind of person it is. And he, she sent, he sent over this movie that she had written, produced, and directed, and starred in. A short or feature? Full feature. And this was in the 90s. She raised all the money herself. She, her first two features, she raised all the money herself and shot it herself. So... um so I look and I'm like, she's, and he had told me, I'm not going to say who, but she had just got done dating this A-list dude. I look at her. She's gorgeous. She's dating Hollywood stars. And I tell him straight up, this is not for me. I said, I got, I'm a single dad with three kids. I cannot go down the path of dating somebody who looks like this, who dates movie stars. And she's never been married at the point. Never been married. I'm like this, I'm out on this. And he goes, dude, you got to do it. And then the way she was, he was selling me to her, single dad comedian with a crazy ex. And she was like, so I was picturing Robin Williams with this psycho following you. And she was like, that wasn't interesting to me either. So neither one of us, neither one of us wanted to go out on a date with each other. First date though, a week later, I called my parents. I'm like, hey, this is who I'm marrying. A week later. How does the first date happen? Well, the first date I stood her up. So I, he was like, here's the numbers. And I call her. I go, here, let's meet. So you called her up and she was expecting your call. Yep. Expecting my call. Super nice. And she was like, I was like, let's meet. I'm going, but I'm going, she's with her sister and I'm with a buddy of mine. Oh, so it's like a double. It, it's just like, so just in case we hate each other, we can get the fuck out of there. That's the smart. You, because you have an out. Like, look, I'm not stuck here looking at you. You're not stuck here looking at me. We don't like each other. I don't even know in this day and age if that even happens anymore. What, dates face-to-face? To bring other people. I don't know. Like, I, I, it may definitely didn't happen that night. <laughs> so she's there with her sister, and you don't show up with your friend. I ended up at a party with Martin Landau smoking weed. Okay. Which was actually not a terrible place to end up. You know what was funny? Somebody, this was how old we were. Somebody was like, hey, do you want to go to a porn party? And we were like, I don't even know what the, I, a porn party. Yeah, let's go to. It just turned out everybody showed up dressed as their favorite porn star. I was like, this is not. And Martin Landau walked in smoking weed. I was like, all right, well, we're here. You know, she called the next day. And she I, called you, I was, even though you stood her up. I respected this so much. She called the next day just basically to say, hey, motherfucker, just say you're not coming. You're a grown up. I'm a grown up. I don't understand why I had to get dressed and put my makeup on and go out when you could have just saved me the pro. I, 
she basically she said, I don't know you. You're, you think you're going to hurt my feelings by saying you don't want to go? It just makes me mad that you weren't man enough to call me on the phone and tell me you weren't coming. And I was like, I think I love you. So come over tonight. I loved that she called me. I well, loved that. When you're with Martin Landau smoking weed. Yeah. Do you forget or do you know that she's at the restaurant? I don't, I don't think I really cared. I think, I honestly think, I'll tell you where I was in life. I was just coming off of my first TV deal. And here's, I should give a little backstory for where I was in my life. I had just left an apartment where I lived in one room with my three kids. I made $1,000 a month. I had just got out of a relationship that wasn't the best relationship in the world and was just getting my head above water. I wasn't, you know, on a scale of one to 10 happy, I was at a seven. And I was happy to stay at a seven. And I, I know that, that if the right woman could push me to a 10, the wrong one could drop me back down to a zero. I was not at a point in my life where I was emotionally, mentally stable enough to go back down to zero with the three kids. I just couldn't do it. So when I saw, when I saw her and who she was and what I thought she was basically was, I gave, I assigned something to her that she was not at all. I was just like, this is not worth the risk of this happening again. I just can't sink that low because I was, when the relationship ended before, not that I wanted the relationship to, to, to last, I knew it was over. But I was so scared about raising those three kids by myself with no nothing, with living in one room. And I, I, there was such despair and such hopelessness that that's what I associated with women for a while. That's what they brought. That's what, that's what I was going to end up feeling like if I got another relationship. Not, not that I was angry at women, not that I hated women, but I was like, that to me is what relationships meant. And I was not willing to take that risk again, basically is what I thought. I had told my brothers, I'm super happy. The kids are happy. The career's okay. Let's stay at a seven because seven's great. You know what I mean? And so when I say I stood her up that I can honestly tell you, I've never stood anybody up before or obviously since, cause I'd never gone out with anybody else since not my thing, but I was not brave enough. She was 100% right. I was not brave enough to call her on the phone and say, this isn't going to work for me because I would have had to admit out loud, I'm scared of what you, I'm scared of you. I'm scared of what you represent, you know? And um, she would tell you, she was, there was no way she was ever going to see me again. She just, see me. She just wanted to get that out. And then I said something to my daughter that kind of softened her a little bit. I, I, you know, I made dinner, lunch, breakfast, everything for the kids. So I was making dinner when she called me and I said, hold on one second. And I just said to my daughter, I said, how do you want your Turkey, turkey burger, burger, baby? You want cheese on there? And I just went through the menu of what we were having. And I got back to her and I think she kind of was like, Oh, this dude is just kind of doing the best he can. And I said to her straight up, I really apologize. I didn't break down that to her, what I just said to you, but I basically said, I'm a little gun shy. I really apologize. You want to try again? Will you come over tonight? I don't have a babysitter, so I can't go out, 
But after the kids go to sleep, if you want to come over and we can just talk and, and chat it up and get to know each other, I would love for you to come over. And she came over. She came over your house. She came over my house because I, you know, I had once every, once every two weeks, I had a night out with the babysitter, you know? So, and I had already spent my, my once. So the only way we were going to be able to get together is if she came over and she had to come over after the kids went to sleep. So she comes over at what time? 9.15. How is she dressed? Um, pretty conservatively, man, you know, and I had a hoodie on and, and jeans and, um, she was just wearing a jacket and, you know, regular jacket and shirt, t-shirt and jeans. And, um, I gave her a little tour of my house and did you do that thing where you crack open the door and you have her look at the kids sleeping and then you, I, I didn't, but my, we were watching Saturday night live on the couch and, um, and it's so funny cause I, I said to her when she came over, I go, do you want to, you want to drink? And she was like, sure, I'll have a beer. And I cracked a beer for her and she goes, are you not? She thought I was going to have a drink too. And, I, and she goes, are you not having a drink? I go, I don't, my ex drank a lot. And I said, you know, I don't, I don't drink in the house anymore just because the kids saw my ex drink all the time. So she just put the bottle down. She was like, well, I don't need a beer. I thought we were having one together. And then we watched Saturday Night Live. And then my son, who was almost four at the time, came out. Now, had that ever happened before? He came out every now and then if he wanted something to drink or... But I mean, when you were with somebody before. No, no. Well, I never brought anybody to my house ever. So he comes out. What does he say? He's doing, you know, rubbing his eyes and he... He asked he, for a juice box and I got him a juice box and he came and just without saying anything, came, he put this, you know, and the thing he used to do that I think I missed the most, I'm sure, you know, with your, he used to come and sit and he would just put his hand on my cheek like this. It is the thing that I truly miss the most, man. I, 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 I can feel it. Do you know what I mean? I can feel it. It's, and you, you know, you can almost feel the energy from their hand going into your, eye. Oh, it's just the best. And that age four is like special, but he came out and he would put his juice and he just put his hand on my cheek. And, um, and then when he was done with the juice, he put his other hand on her foot. And, and, um, I was just like, this is, it was so natural. And, and now I had a very strict rule with her. And any woman that I dated, although I didn't really date anybody besides her, they weren't allowed to meet the kids. So when he came out, I don't never, when, when, when I dated a woman, she was like, I'd like to meet your kids. I'm like, we've known each other for a week. Why the fuck do you need to meet my kids? That was always a red flag to me. I was like, what? This is our relationship. Is she not saying anything? She's just observing. She, you know, he's, you know, when they're half asleep, half awake. Yeah. And, and so... I'm just talking to him and, you know, how you doing, buddy? You want to go back to bed? Let me know you want to go back to bed. And he's like, mm, okay. And, um, but he did at one point, he just looked at her and he goes, hello. <laughs> and, um, and I think we all fell in love that night. I think we all did. You know, he was quick to call her mom. My oldest two were not. My daughter called her the babysitter for the first couple of years. How You're leaving was, us with the babysitter? I was like, you mean my wife? Yeah. Yeah. How old was your daughter at the time? <sighs> well, he was four, so she was like seven. Oh, yeah. But she, and my, is she seven, but like this. So Beth, my wife, eventually she would, so she, we lived in the valley in Sherman Oaks. Um, and she lived in West Hollywood. 
And so you, she used to drive over and then drive back, but she'd only be able to drive over after the kids went to sleep and she wasn't allowed to spend the, spend the night because I didn't want anyone meeting the kids. And I, I used to tell her all the time, I'll come over when I can or we figure it out. So one night she's like, I'm too tired to drive home. And I was like, babe, you know, you can't, the first time the kids meet you can't be in my bed. And she said, well, can I sleep in the walk-in closet? And I was like, what? She said, can I sleep in your closet? And I was like, I just want to make sure I'm saying this out loud. You're going to come over. We're going to have sex. You're going to sleep in the closet. And she said, yeah. And I was like, okay. I just want to make sure like we say it out loud. Like, you know, this is, she, she goes, yeah, I just, and she said, and when the kids go to school, I'll get back in bed. I said, cool. So my daughter, who's always been smarter than anybody in the house, she's been sleeping in the closet for maybe a couple of weeks. And my daughter comes into the kitchen in the morning and I'm making breakfast and, and they always had to get themselves dressed. I made breakfast and lunch making it. And she goes, daddy, I can't find my shoes. And I said, babe, I don't know what to tell you. I'm making breakfast. She goes, I looked everywhere. I go, you haven't looked everywhere. And so she comes back in the kitchen, maybe 10 minutes later. And she goes, uh, I still can't find my shoes. And there's a stranger sleeping in your closet. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Oh, okay. I said, okay, babe. I said, but, um, I said, I'll help you find your shoes. I said, just out of curiosity, there's a stranger sleeping in my closet and that's the reaction I get on her way out of the kitchen. Perfect timing. She just turns back and looks at me and she goes, it's your closet, daddy. None of my business. What happens in your closet? <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, that was, this is, I'm going to bury a body with her. You know what she's like? And that was the first time she saw her first time she ever saw her. First time she ever saw her. Was she sleeping? She was not. She, she said she heard the little feet. She was in the closet with the covers up over her head thinking, don't come in here. Don't come in here. <laughs> and she just opened the door. And yeah. And you know, my, yeah, my daughter, I think, always knew. So much smarter than all of us. So the first date ends, the Saturday Night thing ends, the four-year-old, yes. she goes home. Yes. And you're thinking to yourself. I really like her. We talked about marriage maybe the fourth day we knew each other. I was like, I don't this I don't want to scare you, but I'd like maybe love you. And she was like, Yeah, it's kind of scary. I told my parents a week in. I was so scared and nervous. I don't think I've ever said this before. I was so scared and nervous. I went into my walk-in closet, shut the door. Because and I slept had, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in her sleeping bag. Um uh because I had made so many, this last woman was such a terrible miss, not a terrible misstep, three beautiful kids. She's a wonderful person. It just didn't end up well for us that I was so scared for these words to come out of my mouth that I was going to speak them, that I was going to say, Hey, I love, I think I love this woman and I think I'm going to marry her. So I went in my closet and I shut the door and I called my parents and I was just hiding in the corner. I'm by myself in the house. Why am I hiding in the corner of a dark closet? And I have my phone and I, I was, my voice was shaking. I was, tears were in my, I don't know what it was. There was so much emotion, scared, happy, excited, but like knowing that there's the potential of dropping down to one again. As soon as I say this shit out loud, I'm opening myself up to it, you know? I told my parents, I said, I... I'm going to marry her. And there was just silence. And uh, my dad said, I've never heard you say that before. And I said, I've never felt that way. I've never felt that way. She's so, she's so special. And she really, 
fills in all of my holes. Do you know what I mean? She, every, she filled in everything. She checked the boxes and then some. I presume that at the time when she first met you, you didn't check all the boxes. No. So how does somebody go from before they meet you, when you stand them up, to four meetings later and she's agreeing with you, I want to spend the rest of my life with you? It's, it's a great question. And I have to tell you, to her credit, in this, people have always said to me, it's so great that you took on those kids that weren't yours and you, know, you did that. I'm like, yeah, but my wife, what my wife did was 10 times that. Because the kids' open arms accepted me because it was something they were missing in their life. That was not the case for her. So what she did was huge. And then I agree with you. Like I was like single dad, three kids, at the time an ex who was around. is not an appealing combination. We just talked for hours. And it was so natural and comfortable. I just... I think it was undeniable. I think that whatever holes that I had, the fact of who we were together trumped all of that. I really believe that because I don't consider myself to be the greatest catch in the world. I mean, look at me. I look like I just crawled out of a hamper. But she somehow saw through all that and, and, um, and, and, and quickly. It was pretty amazing. It was pretty amazing. Hey everybody, I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Hey, everybody. I've talked a lot about AquaTrue on this show, the amazing water purification system that's literally a miniature water cooler in your home that purifies the water in a way that no one else has ever figured out how to do. It's this incredibly efficient piece of equipment, and it gives you the best-tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. You just take it out of the box, plug it in, put your tap water in it, and it takes out all the bad chemicals and gives you the best and healthiest water you can ever imagine, saving you thousands of dollars each year from buying bottled water in the store. I have one at my house and office, and everyone who uses it orders one, and you should too. Just go to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, and if you act now, you can get $100 off and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had, and never waste another dollar buying bottled water again. 
I just want to share another groundbreaking product with you. It's a revolutionary air purifier that will change the way your home operates. And I'm talking about the air doctor. The air inside our home can be up to a hundred times more polluted than the air outside. But with the air doctor, you don't have to worry about it as it removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and so many other contaminants that circulate throughout our homes. Till now, the only thing that could come close to this product were systems that cost thousands of dollars. But now you can get the Air Doctor for a fraction of the cost, normally $600. And if you don't believe me, check Amazon. But for a limited time, I can give you 50% off and save you $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and get rid of all the bad toxins in your home. I'm telling you, I have this product. It really, really works. So get one now and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air you can ever imagine. Tell our audience the first time Beth broke down because one of your children just got to her and didn't accept her. I, you know what was really hard for her too? And also, very, especially the when the relationship first started, no matter what in the house no matter what was happening, she was number four on my checklist. And that's a hard thing, especially when you're courting somebody, the beginning of a relationship, not to be a first priority, not to be second, not to be third. Every day she woke up fourth on the list. You're number one on her checklist. Yes. And she's number four, four. yet she still wants to be with you. Yes. And yeah. so when she experienced that pushback, did she get emotional about yes. it? Yes. And how did you handle it? Uh, you know, it was really interesting because I was in that position a lot in the middle where, you know, there's two pe people that I love that, that and I'm somehow stuck in the middle and, and feel like I have to choose a side. And so I would always tell her, and by the way, she said something to my daughter that because my daughter eventually apologized to her. Do you know what she said to my daughter? You don't need to apologize to me. It's my job. To, to, it was my job to love you. It was not your job to love me. And I was like, get the fuck out of here with wow. that. And that's basically, even though it broke her down, it wasn't, she didn't need, all she needed to hear from me was that I love you. I'm going to, I'm support you. I'm with you through this. And I would tell her, you know, my Caitlin is, you know, she loves her mom too. And this is a tough thing for her, you know, and we would just have that same conversation, but knowing where Beth's head was, no matter how difficult she got, it got, I think she knew going in, that was part of the deal. You know, she grew up with a stepdad and I think she knew going in, there's gonna be some pushback. I, I just had to let her know I'm, I'm with you. A hundred percent, no matter what goes down, I won't let, like, I wouldn't let my daughter, when she says stuff like that, I was like, hey, listen, we, I had talked to her too. I'm like, it's not acceptable for you to say that shit. It's just not acceptable. This, this is not the babysitter. This is my wife. This is my, the person that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with, you know? And, um, and so it was just reassuring her that, I, and I never sugarcoated it. I was like, I don't know when it's going to end. But it will end. And when it ends, 
the fact that you handled yourself with such grace will you will come out the other end with such a special relationship with them and her relationship with my daughter i would tell you is maybe better than my relationship with my daughter she my daughter calls her for everything because she handled that situation with such grace and uh it was amazing to watch and and because of that you know they all call her mom and yeah, it's, it was it, pretty crazy. Like, I have no idea how I ended up with her. She's smarter than me. She's better looking. She's, I mean, better temperament, like a better person. It's so crazy. I don't know how it worked. There's relationships that you have with people. Let's say the relationship you have and had with Chelsea Handler, who is it could be argued if she were sitting here is diametrically opposite the kind of personality you are. And yet somehow yeah. she felt incredibly safe with you for many, many years where you weren't technically in her world. Mm -mm. And so do you feel like you were able to make it work with your wife in the beginning? Because you were good at that in show business where you would go into situations that technically speaking weren't a good fit and you made them a good fit. I've, I, you know, I've, as you get older, you start to become hyper aware of what you're good at and what you're not good at. The fact that you have a 26 year old child and I'm sitting across from you and literally four you, grandkids, man. I mean, you look like you're 35 years old. Four grandkids. How do you have four grandchildren? How is that possible? My oldest son didn't wrap it up. You know what I mean? Four times, apparently. But, he, you know, when I had to pick out my grandfather name, so he called me. He was like, we're pregnant. You get to pick out your grandparent father name. And um, my wife picked out BB for her because we were both like, hey, nobody's calling me grandma and grandpa. Like that shit is not happening because I won't even respond to him. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to be at a mall and have someone call me grandpa and be like, right? Yeah. So my son goes, call me tomorrow and let me know what names you want. So my wife picked out BB and I picked out LeBron because I thought, how great would it be if a kid's like, we're going to BB and LeBron's house. I'm like, that place sounds fun. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's got a theme song. That sounds like a 70s sitcom. BB and LeBron. And so I call him. I go, hey, man. So I would like them to call me LeBron. And he goes, no. <laughs> and I said, I, go, <laughs> I said, I said, why not? And he goes, does everything have to be a joke to you? And I was like, yeah, are you new? Yes. I, we've been doing this a long time, man. He goes, I can't have him call you LeBron. So we went with Jojo back to what you asked me. That's one of the things that I'm good at is that I can, you can put me in a room with anybody and I'm, I'm all right. I know that now I, I, there are a lot of things that I'm not good at. This happens to be one of the things that I am good at. I love meetings. I love generals. I love going into rooms with people I don't know. I, I feel comfortable around people. It's just one of the things that I know I'm good at. So it's, it's odd. Like that's why I have a lot of different types of friends. Like you would not think that naturally Chelsea and I would be buddies. But we are. I, I like to see the good in people. So when I'm with them, that's what I focus on is the good in them. 
it's just something that I like to do. I'm, I'm a positive person. So that, so that's, I think one of the reasons why I can kind of slip into a room and doesn't matter who's in there and what they're talking about. I can, I can bat it around with them. You know, there's very few people in our business that you can look at. You probably count them on half a hand where they have said you, 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 you over there, you come in. It's an unstated thing, but you're going to work for me. You're going to get here early. You're going to stay late. You're going to be loyal to me and you will break out in this business. Mm -hmm. And Joe Rogan does it. He's an amazing guy who breaks talent. Adam Sandler. Corolla. Corolla. And these are very few people who do that. Judd does it? Judd, of course. But the thing is, most people don't do it. And I presume the people that do it feel comfortable in their own skin. And they feel secure that they're never going to worry about anybody passing them. Mm -hmm. And if they do pass them, they deserve to pass them. You know, Chelsea, I, I have nothing but good things to say about her. And, and I remember I learned so much from watching her. One of the things that I learned from, because that round table was really the show. The interview, I think the numbers you could see, they dipped when you went to the couch. It was the round table that was different. Conflict, resolution, and humor. Yes, yes. But it was amazing some shows. She didn't talk. Now, it wasn't that she didn't talk because she was mad or she was making a point or she was... On the shows where the three of us or the three people on the round table were funny, she wanted you to have the light. When, when it wasn't working, that's when she threw in all her jokes. But she did not need to be the funny one. She wanted her show to do well. And it was so fascinating. You know, I would tell you this. One of the reasons I hated watching Leno is because he never seemed to really listen to anything anybody said. He was just waiting to tell a joke. What a boring interview that is. She was so gracious. And by the way, I love Jay, also a very generous dude. But that's why I didn't like to watch his show, right? She allowed us to shine. And if the, if you shone very brightly, she would push you further into the spotlight. She was not scared. She was so secure of what the show was and where her place was. She wanted us to grow. When I quit that show, I used to, I was writing on it and I basically quit because, and I told her, I love, I love you. I love being here, but in paraphrase it, I can't ever be the man if I'm working for the man. I can't be the, I can't wear the crown. You're wearing the crown. And she said, I a hundred percent respect that. And you, you know, good luck. And, 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 and that's who she was. She was not, she demanded loyalty from you when you were there. There's no doubt about that because she gave so much. She really did. But uh, if you wanted to go and succeed outside of that, she was going to support you however she could. I, I mean, I really do. There aren't a lot of people that would let you take that spotlight, and she did continuously. Tell our audience how you first started your relationship with her professionally and your first thing you did on the show. What was it? Well, I, she was the last person I had dated before I met my wife. Dated's not the right word, but we went out and had fun and whatever. We really knew what it was. 
she was fun. I like to go out and have a good time. Do you know what I mean? Like it, there was no, and she didn't put that kind of shit on there. You know what I mean? That, that wasn't her thing. She was really a live and let live. And that wasn't a, an issue. She went to a party with me and my brothers and cousins at this dude's house once. And this is when I knew I was like, I fucking really like her. So she was wearing jeans. And she, she, when we walked into the party, she started to limp. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Well, I didn't know that she was going to do a bit that night about having a fake leg. That was her whole thing the whole night. We played pool and she'd limp and she was like, yeah, the fake. So everybody at the party thought she had a fake leg. Well, she got, you know, we ended up getting fucked up and her limp switched legs. And I was like, (laughs) I was like, like, hey, you're switching limps. Just so you know, you're getting a little fucked up. We should get out of here. But I, 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 um. I, I think the first perfect, I went on her show. She, she, I was on maybe the first week. Now this is before you were going out or after, after long after long after. Yep. This is the one situation where nobody talks about is that the goal of the host and the producers is different than the three people on yeah. the round table, the people on the round table, unless they are oblivious to the fucking business they should know that they want to crush the other person like a bug. So the question comes out right away. Now, sometimes in the beginning, Chelsea might say, Josh, what do you think about that? Yeah. But as the show went on, she'd do the question and she didn't throw to anybody. And it was in. like, who's yeah. going to come in first? In the beginning, I think she did throw to people. Well, in the beginning, it was comedian, expert, celebrity. So the first round table, I think it was on, it was me, Kim Coles and Ken, that dude used to be a reporter for E. Yeah. Now keep in mind, Kim Coles used to be a standup, but, but I also was on with Tiffany, uh-huh. uh, the singer, Debbie Gibson was on like Steve-O. It was just like, and so at first the pressure was on you to make sure that you were making that round table funny. But I think as they went on a couple of weeks and months, they were like, nobody gives a shit about the expert or the celebrity. Let's have all comics. Tell the audience how you prepare for those first shows. So you figure we show up at 10 a.m., we hit the writer's room, we decide on the stories. When you decide on the stories, and that, so you got to make your little packet, you pitch them out to her and the exec producers, and then they pick the stories they want. And then we obviously joke pitch and all that stuff, right? That's when it gets sent out to talent. So I bet you if the taping was at three, you would get your packet maybe around noon, I feel like. So you have three hours to prepare to be funny live in a segment that lasts at the most seven minutes? I think so. Probably seems about right. Seems about right. And so... it. it I will tell you, though, the first couple weeks, the first couple shows, I went in. I learned so much from being on that show. I went in with jokes prepared. And no matter what was happening on the table, I would tell those jokes. What I had learned, though, and this is what the, how she narrowed down towards the end who was going to be on that roundtable. What I learned, though, I was much better off trusting my instinct, having some ideas, but listening because what happened to people who would just write the jokes. So say this topic started out something about Justin Bieber, but then it ended up, they were talking about 
whatever tattoos. But then somebody who didn't get in their Justin Bieber joke before the tattoo top, they would do a Justin Bieber joke and it wouldn't land because we weren't talking about that anymore. They, they weren't listening. They had their jokes. And what I learned as, as it went on, and this helped me in all aspects of this business was the importance of listening, the importance of listening and, and, and then reacting honestly to what I just heard. It, it's one of the reasons I think that there were some of us who were on the round table all the time because she liked conversation. She wanted it to seem like she hated canned shit. When you came on the show and you said, Hey, I want to tell this story on her couch. She never asked you that question to tell the story. If you had something planned, she did everything in her power to make sure you never got there. That's not how she liked her show to be. She liked it. So that's basically if she felt like that was happening, you know, she would attack people. Attack them. And also what you learned was sometimes it didn't even matter. Michael Yo, Joe Coy. Let's use Joe Coy. There were shows where none of us get to say any jokes because all she did was insult Joe Coy. She just went in on that dude. But it helped his business. It didn't matter at the end of the day if he was being funny. FaceTime. She talked about Joe Coy. It helped his business. Well, it helped his business because it made him the underdog. Yes. Yes, and people would support him and be like, it's all right, Joe, we got your back. Like, and so on that roundtable, those first couple times, I just sat and waited for the joke. Hey, everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I wanna do it because I wanna help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. But sometimes people are so aggressive on that round table, you don't even get to your joke Well, that was, if you don't jump in. That was when it was all comics. So your first round table where you have competition, take our audience through who's on the panel. Okay. So you would for sure look at the panel and go, oh, I better, I better talk quickly. You would look up on the board and be like, oh, it's, okay, it's Heather McDonald. She's going to jump in. And it's Lonnie Love and me. All right. It's Heather McDonald, Lonnie right. Love so, and you. So just, so just say, I don't remember who my first one was, it was, but just say that was the panel. Okay. If I looked at that, I would be like, all right. Heather's, and Heather prepared meticulously. And she was great on the show. So was Lonnie. But they both spoke a lot. So when, if you were on a, on a round table like that, you knew going in, oh, you better jump, you better jump in quick or, and this is not a, like a knock on either one of them. They were just both very funny people, you know, 
And um, you knew, but there were other ones that you could look up on the board and be like, all right. Oh, Dan Levy and Greg Fitzsimmons. All right. They're not overly aggressive dudes. I'm going to be able to, you, you almost had to strategize a little bit about, okay, I can relax a little bit on this one. But some of those ones, you were on the edge of your seat. And as soon as her mouth closed, you were like, I got a joke. You know, you just, you just had to get out because you didn't know when you were going to get your shot next. Were there some times where you strategized after Chelsea closed her mouth, finishing the topic that you strategized? Okay, I'm going to let these two, I'm going to let Lonnie and Heather battle this first one out, and then I'm just going to come in right after. Well, there were some people like Heather that I knew I was going to have an opposite, my, whatever her take was, I knew mine was going to be different because we're different people. So I actually sometimes wouldn't even prepare a joke. I just knew that I would have an emotional response to what she said and that that would work. So you, in a live broadcast to tape where you only have seven minutes split between three people, are relying on your instinct and not preparation. So meanwhile, Heather is preparing for three hours and you're saying, you know, I'll just... Sometimes, because with her, I knew that I would be able to piggyback. I just knew it because we had completely different views on how we were getting to things. So once she said it, I was like, oh, I didn't have this opinion before, but I do now. And so, and it, and it just worked well. Those roundtables worked when it looked like your three of your friends were having a conversation. But when it was just three people telling jokes, it just got boring. When was the first time the other panelists took you down? I have to tell you, I don't remember ever having that feeling on that show because even on you the show, a hundred episodes, even on the shows where I wasn't, where I felt like I wasn't as funny as I, I still had so much fun. Like it really is my point of view in life. If I'm having fun, even if I'm not the focal point, it's a win for me. Like any day that I wake up and I have a good time, what, what's my complaint? So even if I was, my jokes didn't land or I just didn't get to say that much, I was laughing that she made me laugh. Chelsea made me laugh. You know, there was one show where she didn't like what Bobby Lee said, so she made him do the rest of the show from under the table. It was just ridiculous. <laughs> it was just ridiculous. And so I never felt that way. Be- I never, I, ne- I know it's right, but I never felt that way, honestly, because I also, and this is true, there are many years where I wasn't on TV. And just the fact that I was, here I am with this opportunity on, at the time was the hottest show in the world. You know, what am I, what am I in a fetal position for? Did you ever go back to your dressing room after a show and felt really bad because you just completely annihilated the other two people? I honestly don't remember ever thinking, although I will be honest, much like when I used to feature for people, my goal when I featured with people would be like, I am gonna, <laughs> I hope I blow this dude or woman. I hope this guy fires me after I, the show because I can't. I hope the entire meet and greet is people saying, I wish you were headlining. I, that's how I approached every feature. One of set. the greatest compliments for a feature that goes on before the headliner is the manager of the club comes in and says, listen, instead of doing 30 this next show, could you just do 20? Yeah. And then the next night it's like, 
tonight could you just do 10 minutes <laughs> <laughs> and then the last night it's yeah. like we're gonna have you <laughs> yeah i i um i definitely had that mentality i always wanted to win i'm a very competitive person but i don't think i can remember walking off of there and being like i crushed those people there were some shows where i was like i did great but it was never in comparison to them Tell our audience the first time you were on a panel and somebody came in, might have been a comedian that you knew from the past or around the scene, but they never did the round table before. It's their first one. You're in there. You've done 10 of them. You're like a seasoned vet. Mm -hmm. They're coming in. And in your mind, you're thinking, yeah, they're funny, but I'm, you know, I know what I'm doing here. And you still do well, but they just blow the crowd away and you're like holy shit this person's coming back there were two there was one that i felt that way and one who i was like oh she'll come back and she just never did maybe she came back once but she was tiffany haddish i thought tiffany was great and she just didn't for whatever reason didn't jive with what chelsea wanted but the person that i remember the first time he was on i was like oh he's coming back is tj miller he was so different than any of us because when he was telling jokes he wasn't really telling jokes do you know what i mean and he was he, he had such a different point of view and energy than the rest of us that i remember his first show i was like oh, i love this dude this dude is like legitimately funny in a completely different way and now i think i that was the one for me and i do i remember thinking the first time tiffany was on oh she'll be on forever and I think she maybe had two, she did two or three shows and that was it. But, and it's funny to me, the people, um, who never were on that round table, who were big comics at the time. It was funny to me. She had a couple of her friends on who were bigger names, but she never went after the big name comic. Do you know what I mean? To have on the show. Well, sometimes the people who were doing better in their careers, at the time that went on the show, it wasn't their lane. Kevin Hart was on the show. Yeah. It, but I think it only one time. It yeah. wasn't this thing. Yeah. And so it's a weird talent, that round table. And it's not for everybody. Ben Glebe was on a hundred times. I know. Every time she shit <laughs> on him, my favorite part about Ben is he would, he would pretend that it was a compliment. He'd be like, thank you. <laughs> it was, it was, thank you very much, Chelsea. I really appreciate that. He, and Gary Valentine was great doing that too. Gary was so, Gary was my favorite person to watch. For those of you who don't know, Kevin James's brother. Yes. Gary does the style of comedy that makes me laugh the hardest, which is saying absolutely ridiculous things with a hundred percent confidence. That's his style of humor, right? He tells a joke about shooting a bow and arrow off the back of a horse, riding a bareback, which is, and it's, it's like one of, because it's the, the most ridiculous, but he's a hundred percent serious when he tells it. So I loved, and whenever she would, insult him he would treat it like a compliment he'd be like thank you like she would make fun of his teeth and he'd be like thank you and he'd give the big toothy smile and it was just amazing what would you say your lane was on the show huh with her uh, huh you know i don't know um i think for a little while um because i'm not an angry guy um and i'm i'm pretty normal i think for a little bit I, I, she felt safe around me. 
And that wraps up part one of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with Aquatrue, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code BEAR and start enjoying the best water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I Killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to IKillJFK.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life. It instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And that wraps up part one of two episodes. You can check out the next episode this coming Thursday. And here's a preview of the next episode. Do five things a day for your career. Whatever those five, whether it's a phone call, uh, whether whether you're a part of your job is you need to look good so you go to the gym. You need to do five things at least a day for your career. That's 25 things a week. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. Cause you're going far. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.